Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Asian Americans. I am your host, Jerry Wan. And what a May the last month has been as we celebrated perhaps the most important and the most historic Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, making ourselves loud and talking about not only our experiences, but our history and what we want our future to be. I want to encourage everybody to continue to engage in those conversations and stay loud as we go beyond May and continue to talk about our experiences and the intersectionality that many of us identify as, as we head into Pride Month and additional Heritage Month. Stay loud about being Asian and Asian American. We should never be just limited to one month, but to continue the dialogue. And we'll continue that doing here, here on The Asian Americans. Today, my guest is an amazing friend of mine who has been so vocal and a pillar of the way that we storytell, particularly in the last few months, as we have dealt with so much ugliness in our community. So she requires no other introduction other than the fact that she is Dion Lim, one of the greatest storytellers of our community this year. as She has brought forth and, and told with amazing grace so many of the challenging and most painful stories that we've seen coming out of the Bay Area. So thanks again for tuning in to the Asian Americans, whether it is your first episode with us or you've listened to all 118. Uh, I thank you and I welcome you. And without further ado, here now is my conversation with Dion Lim. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Asian Americans. Hope you're staying safe and hope you're staying well in what continues to be challenging times for so many in our community. And while uh, mainstream media, uh, sometimes it seems like they move on to other things, uh, there are still incidents happening. There are things that we are made aware of. And I hesitate to say lucky or blessed because these are not happy things to talk about, but there are certain people in our community who remind us and who are working so hard behind the scenes to make sure that these stories of these victims and our community members are not erased. And so she might as well now just go by a singular name because I think everybody in the community knows her and, and loves her. Uh, I certainly am so appreciative of the work that she does, but really, really honored and excited uh, to share this conversation with my friend Dion Lim today. So hi, Dion. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so honored to be here. And kudos to all of that you're doing too, amplifying these Asian American voices, having these conversations. And what you said really hits the nail on the head. It has been a burden, but at the same time, a blessing. It is really weird to process all that. I think particularly in May, as I'm sure you have as well, getting a lot of kudos from people for doing the things that we do. Um, a lot of it, I think, wasn't by choice for both me and you to really feel the need that we had no choice but to use our gifts and our voices and our relationships and our privileges, really, to, to get the stories out there. Um, but I think what also people don't realize, too, is that we didn't wake up three months ago and decide to be an Asian American platform like we've been putting in the work, maybe not as actively and maybe not as loudly, but you know, you don't wake up and just decide to become the voice of a community or, you know, it, I, I think we're living through an amazing time. I think we'll reflect back on the spring of 2021 as really a pivotal point in the way that we began to tell our stories and, and owning it. Um, I, I find your story and your platform so just exciting and fascinating uh, because you work for a national media organization. So you have a platform which also comes with both uh, a large megaphone and credibility and authority and access into certain places. But I imagine it comes with certain frustrations as well, because you don't get to say really what you'd like or have the, you know, obviously when you work for a large, large logo, um, uh, that happens. And so I, I would love to get to talking all about that, but um, I think we know your name. We know the work that you do. 
not very many of us know, myself included, the story of Dion pre what we know to be today. So uh, share with us how the Lim family became Asian American. Where did you grow up? How were your early years and your identity shaped by where and how you grew up? Thank you for asking, because I think we have to look inward, especially during this time, and really understand who we are and where we come from. And it was something that I didn't really embrace for a very long time. So I was born in Michigan, grew up in Ohio and Connecticut, went to work in Massachusetts and Kansas and Missouri and North Carolina and Tampa Bay and all of these places there was not a large Asian American population. So I'm the daughter of immigrants from Taiwan and Hong Kong. And their number one goal, and maybe you can relate to this, or many Asian Americans, first generation can, the goal was for me to assimilate as best I could and to not necessarily learn the language, even though I do speak a little bit of Mandarin, but to become American by being white. And that's what I thought I was supposed to be. I remember very tangibly when I was in elementary school and I was one of just a few Asian Americans, kids would make fun of my pork floss bun sandwiches and not understand why I had seaweed sheets in my little Tupperware container. And I desperately wanted to be white. And I remember very clearly thinking, even if I was an ugly white person, it would be better than being Chinese. And looking back on that, I am so ashamed and cannot believe I thought that way. But that's how I grew up. I grew up thinking that I was an outsider and that I was weird and that I didn't really have a place and that my voice wasn't very strong and that it would always be over overruled no matter where I was. So to be here doing what I'm doing now feels like a little bit of a miracle. I, I, I would say that you've uh, made many, many full circles on that because I, I guarantee you there's going to be a bunch of little Dion limbs this Halloween. Um Because now, now young girls, my, my daughter and other kids are looking up to you as uh, the person that they want to emulate and, and to and to be in, and so I think for you to share that stories is really awesome because I think sometimes we romanticize the stories of our role models and to think that they had it so easy and they don't necessarily talk so openly about some of the struggles. I mean, you mentioned wanting to be white, and I think that that's a very direct way of saying it. And I think so many of us uh, were told to uh, were told. Uh, subtly to try to achieve whiteness without saying the W word because it wasn't in our parents' vocabulary. And so my parents said things like study hard and go work for a big American corporation and make us proud. And I'm like, okay, so if if the average American Fortune 500 CEO is a 6'3 white man, I can't be 6'3, I can't be white, I'm I'm a man, but like we never really thought that part through. And I don't blame any of our parents because they had different struggles of survival and trauma from home and all this other stuff, but the idea that we were pressured or expected to achieve something through pure grit and through pure meritocracy, which some of so many in our community still falsely believe that it is feasible with more money, uh, more degrees, more jobs, um, and you know perhaps fo- more folks um, from from your area now in Northern California in, in the technology field where they think merit is really the you know the only thing that matters which is i think it's very in in a way nice to think that people won't judge you by the color of your skin and that you don't want your things to be your achievements to be judged by that but 
hello, other people treat you differently and have treated you differently all your life because of the way you look. And so why not prepare for that? Or why not own your own story? And why not go down that path? And when I hear your story too, and you listen to all these cities that, you know, uh, particularly now when we, when we talk about Asian American representation in journalism, we often hear from our friends in Ameri Asian American Journalists Association, and especially the aftermath of all these violent attacks of who gets to tell our story. Um, finding your moment in San Francisco now at this point in your career where, again, I don't want to use these terms. I, I, I don't know. the the Not the epicenter, but in, in a metropolitan area of focus because of the population density that exists. Um, tell us about your time in San Francisco and that journey of feeling empowered, emboldened, burdened almost, or obligated to be the voice for our community uh, previous to 2021. I am a total open book, as you will discover. And I'm going to be honest, I think most of my career, I have been typecast as the smiley, bubbly, likes lots of bright colors type of person. And when I got to ABC7, I had a little bit of that. Yes, I could cover wildfires, some of the biggest mass shootings in American history, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings in DC. That was good for my credibility, absolutely. But still, I think there was a population who just thought I could go to the Nutella Hotel in the North Bay and eat Nutella products and show people, hey, how cool is this new place that you can staycation? Mm -hmm. But what happened was, is when I started championing these voices, and it was an Asian American grandma on a playground just a couple of years ago who was beaten and left for dead. That changed everything because suddenly I had a cause to fight for. And I'm not saying that I'm an activist because journalists cannot be activists, but I am an activator. That's what I've kind of discovered my role to be. And when I saw that grandmother who looked like me, I thought, okay, this is not right. This is inherently deeper than just another beating on a playground. This is affecting an entire community. So this was before the pandemic started. And that, at that, about that time, I'll be open in saying I was really beginning to feel the burnout and I was not sure if journalism was going to be my forever career. And who knows, maybe it will not be. I never say no to anything these days, but I was truly beginning to think with all of the changes in media, we don't necessarily always have a seat at the table. And when we do, is it is it impactful enough to make a difference? And do people listen? Are those people who are in those decision-making positions diverse? And are they listening to these stories that are important to us? I made a very conscious decision at the beginning of the pandemic that I was going to forge ahead. And I said, okay, if I continue with this and go down this path, clearly it is resonating with others that they will come forth. And that's what's happened. And it's been the blessing that I mentioned earlier is that people are coming forward when they were not originally and they were scared. They wanted to keep their nose clean, their head down. And they were that nail that stuck up in the board that was getting hammered down. But I was allowing that nail to stick up. And now I find that my career has become has taken off. And I'm proud to say that, but in a way that is helping others. And I'm, I'm proud and I am hopeful that we can keep it going. I don't know how long it's going to be. I think it's going to be a very long time and maybe forever, but at least it's happening. And I'm grateful for that. 
I think what people love about you is the vulnerability and um, you, you've mentioned open book. I, I think newscasters, and I've never been one, but at least the perception is that you're supposed to perform. You're supposed to leave your identity at the door. Um, you're there to cover the story. It's not about you. It's about the, 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 you know, the feature or the news anchor or news story or whatever. But it's hard to separate that, right? Because you look like the people who are grieving. The people that you are there to share the stories of look like our parents and our grandparents today will look like us one day. And I think people need to understand that there is, again, in this ideal world of merit and privilege that you can leave your identity at the door if you don't have identities that mirror what the stories that you're trying to cover. But the way that you share stories, not just on TV, on your platforms, but also in your own social media platforms to have the audience see you in a different way than they would see you just being, as you mentioned, this bubbly person on TV that covers the fun stuff, right? And like, tell us about that sort of dichotomy of trying to do the job well, but the only thing, you know, because I'll put it this way, I think news in and of itself is content. You being there to cover Asian hate crimes is the context that makes the story a thousand percent better than somebody else covering it. Language skills aside, cultural understanding aside, just the fact that you're there. Um, when did you, uh, you, you mentioned sort of when it triggered, but like, did you feel the support of your newsroom? When did you feel supported by the community? Um, I, I didn't track your social media numbers, but I imagine graph sort of looks like that in 2021 um, because everybody really sometimes looks forward to you and has you on notification to be told when something else breaks. Um, it's a, it's a burden and a blessing that as you talked about, you know, on, on your TV show last Sunday, like how, how are you dealing with all of that? Wow, this is a multifaceted question, but I'm glad you asked it because <laughs> I think for so long, not only culturally, right, that we're not encouraged to have feelings. My mother told me when I was young that I should not cry because the only time an Asian American cries is when their parents die. Imagine being told that, right? And the burden of carrying all of this emotion in you. And I tried that for so long in TV news. I mean, look, I shed tears after I went home during some of those wildfires in the North Bay. After the Gilroy Garlic shooting, I went home and I sobbed uncontrollably. But to have it kind of spill out on the air was really scary. And I think for all the Asian American crimes that are happening, crimes toward the AAPI community. If you as an Asian American do not feel some sort of connection or humanity, then something is very wrong. And I don't think now with the way that the media is, there are so many avenues for information, right? There are podcasts and social media. And I mean, look, we have to differentiate ourselves somehow. And you cannot be successful from a business standpoint or as a human standpoint by just being a news reader. I remember early in my career, I thought I was supposed to be Walter Cronkite because that was the example that was given in school, right? Someone who was very steady and had a deep voice. I would even deepen my voice to sound like him. And 
I discovered through this year, like you mentioned, 2021, when that graph kind of took off, that people wanted to be real as well, because Asian Americans are harboring all of these emotions. We are struggling in this altogether. And people who aren't even Asian American because of the pandemic are going through some very tough times. So I think when people realize that the thousand watt crest white strip smile is just part of who I am and just the exterior and that I am also a human being, that opens up the rest of the world for them to share their story with me. And that's super powerful because we have not done that. And this is a real turning point, not for just the pandemic, but I think going forward. How do you think, because you've been in newsrooms all over the country in areas that are highly diverse as, as San Francisco is, but also you know, to places around the country, as you mentioned, that, that is not. Um, do you feel a change that is happening in how predominantly white men led newsrooms are thinking about how we cover stories of the Asian American community from all this stuff that's going on? A thousand percent. Don't get me wrong. There is still a mountain to climb. But look, representation for me used to be just being the first Asian American woman to be at the helm of a Monday through Friday newscast in all of these different places. But that's not enough. I discovered that it is what you do with that representation and how you speak out that makes a difference. Because look, still the executives and the C-suite people are still not those who are diverse. So that is also a problem from the top down. So how do you combat that when, yes, more people of color are being put into that position, but it's still going to take time. The people who are still on the ground, out on the streets, knocking on doors, learning the stories, at least in a media standpoint, we've got to do something. Because listen, if you send me a message about an attack that happened on the subway and I don't do anything about it, I consider that to be complicit in keeping our stories down. And to me, that is just as bad as being a perpetrator because you are a perpetrator of keeping us in the darkness. Let's go on that. Let's Because that's where I wanted to ask you. You got to be exhausted because the on limbs Instagram DM box is almost as on top of many people's list of people to contact when stuff happens because perhaps trained unfortunately by years of not being listened to and not being acknowledged when we call the general news hotline or asking other people to help with our stories because also of your personality and your openness and you, you give a damn Dion, people come to you and, and you just share that when you don't react to an horrific message that you feel burdened and complicit how do you deal with that exhaustion? How do you deal with the onslaught of ugliness that you don't even reshare with everybody else from a physical exhaustion perspective and deciding what to share, but also from a mental care perspective? I had to draw some boundaries because at the end of the day, I used to pride myself in getting back to every single person who sent me a message. On That's exhausting. Yeah, and I can't. Because now it's grown to the level of people from all over the world, all over the country. And I set a boundary for myself where I said, look, I know certain cases are horrific, but I can't get to all of them. I need to focus on the Bay Area right now because that's my audience. That is my core of people that I'm serving right now. It's not that I don't care about others in other parts of the country, but that's where I'm making the call to other journalists out there. I mean, I had 
a young man who reached out to me, I believe it was in Tennessee, and he had wanted to champion some of these stories in his own newsroom. And I was so touched by that because I thought, yes, it's working. He is listening and he was trying to apply this and he is trying to lift that burden for me. And that was a turning point as well in thinking that the problem was you know, being tackled from other facets. But going back to how I deal with it, I, I don't have all of the answers. Law enforcement that I speak with, my sources, they are pelted with these images all day long as well. They're not all Asian American, don't get me wrong, so it's different. But they see things that are 10 times as horrific. It's like being that filter for Instagram, that person who has that job to go through all the content. They told me that as hard as it is, you need to compartmentalize a little bit and realize what your compartments are. Certain people just shut it all out and make each person kind of faceless, but I can't do that. Because to me, to be a better journalist, you need to be able to internalize some of that pain in order to accurately represent it. So for me, I try, (laughs) I try to set the boundary of, okay, if it is a crime that involves a certain level of violence, that will be priority number one. If it involves, let's say, a parolee who should not have been out on the streets that has a larger social justice umbrella to it, Mm -hmm. yes, I will pay attention to that a little bit more. But it doesn't mean that I still don't have days where I want to throw my phone out the window, right? Or to just completely shut it off. But then I also have the paranoia of missing something. And my colleagues have been very, very supportive in saying, Dion, you don't have to be first. This turns the old adage of being first on its head for the very first time. Because I was in a frantic state when I had a video of a woman who was dragged by a car. I don't even remember where it was. It was horrific to watch. And a journalist from another station without even identifying who it was, without having that context portion of it, tweeted it out. And I was furious. And I immediately got on the phone with my executive producer and I said, look at this. I'm so mad. We're not first. And she talked me off a ledge and she said, Dion, you don't have to be first. Do it right. And that gave me a little bit of a realization that, okay, we can have that buffer to be a little bit behind as long as we have that context and be responsible, if that makes sense. There's no right answer to any of this, right? And I think as we live in a a game of speed, whether it is news, social media, um, he who tweets first wins, you know, because that's just the way that we've we've trained ourselves. I think about how media outlets were, were quick to jump on the aftermath of Atlanta, and they didn't really care to ask the Korean community or the victims' families or how, how they wanted this, the, the legacy of, of the deceased to be treated. Journalist Association's website crashed when they put out the guidance of how to be mindful in covering our stories, which is like, well, you were woefully inept at preparation on how to cover Asian American stories. And so when it came out, every news station in the world went on and the website crashed, like, which is good that people were paying attention, but also like, shouldn't this be a part of your normal training and preparation so that you don't, it's, it, it's not reactive. Right. And so I, I think there's a lot of, of, of that as well. Um, how do you see the future of Asian American news? Um, I, we're, we're sort of 
you know, I'm not a news platform. Um, our, our friend Benny and other folks at Next Shark and other places have do a much, much better job. And I, I don't even imagine how exhausted they are this year. There's this notion of people like you and Saifan and Michelle Lee and all these other people who have the amplification tools embedded in large platforms, multi-billion dollar corporations where you can tell the stories, you can get folks to do that ABC special that is widely distributed on primetime on a weekend. And yet there seems to be this need to tell our stories with the nuance and the context that sometimes we don't have the opportunity to, perhaps because of not having enough airtime that is allotted to us or something else going on in the world that you know deserves a headline or as we all know and and sort of suspect the agenda of certain folks who control these large organizations uh socially economically and politically that prohibits from certain stories from being amplified H- how do you see that going forward because we're going to double in size here very soon we're very complicated and complex to talk about and talk to and i don't think we're going to have like asian cnn on on cable tv at least how do you see that sort of playing out in knowing what you know about the community? Yeah, this is a great question because my biggest fear is that AAPI Heritage Month is going to end in a few days <laughs> and the conversations are going to end. How terrible would that be? And then it's on to the next thing. So I will say this, that the momentum that is gaining right now, it cannot be stopped. I mean, look, for the first time, we are having these really tough conversations and bringing up issues that we all are going through. And it's it's being listened to on a worldwide stage. So I think, look, can we necessarily dedicate a special all the time to Asian American voices on our network? No, I would like to, and I'll continue to lobby for it. But on a more micro everyday level, are there ways that we can do that? It sounds so ridiculously simple. But for example, from a media standpoint, when you go out and you get man on the street interviews, meaning you ask people how the weather is, instead of picking all white people, can you have a a diverse group of people. So that way, even for five seconds, when someone says, yeah, that hailstorm was awful for my lawn, that's an Asian person, that subliminally in the viewer's mind will get them to realize, okay, these people are homeowners too. They care about the weather and the hail, just like all of us do. So therefore, we are on a more equal playing field. And that sounds so simple, but really, if we can even... Honestly, I heard this as well. Somebody said this in a podcast, frequent an Asian American owned business. Or when you decide with your friend where to have lunch, pick a place that has a story. So that way you can learn about one of the dishes that's on the menu. But think about how accessible, how easy that is. People who don't even care about race and social justice will care about what they put in their body and what's for lunch. So is that an entry point? Whatever it takes at this point, let's keep it going. It's it's so complex because there's we want to be treated n- normally. I, I dare say, just as an average person, whether it's in the news or whatever. At the same time, you are so far more capable of telling the nuanced versions of our stories. Therefore, your presence is almost necessary, right? And I think that that you know, I'm I'm doing a lot of speaking this month. I know you are too. And you know, shout out to the companies who are bringing us in. But as you mentioned. How do we continue the conversation on June 1st without making it a competition with our friends from the LGBTQ community? The intersectionality does exist, 
But you know what else? Dion and I are going to wake up looking the way we do every single day of the year. We're still going to get discriminated against, you know, and even though your ERG budgets might deplete or your executive team has moved on to the next checkbox item, how are we, whether it is in a newsroom or whether it is in a startup or a corporation, even in your local community, going to continue this conversation? And you're right. Something about this year feels so different that we've, we've unleashed this powerful force that can't be put back into the box. But then the next conversation is how we got here was in the heels and the shadows of ugliness. And how do we move on from it so that these conversations really are preventative of the ugliness that we've seen in the world and not reactive to it? Because I, I'll be honest, and, and this is also weird because I've, I've been very busy as you, you and so many other folks have had. Without all these things, we're not, that, we're not as busy in May. People don't want to hear the Asian American story. Companies aren't being pressured or burdened or even guilted into having APAM events all of a sudden that they've never done before. And that, I think, is, is the big, big puzzle that we have to solve collectively that, you know, I, I joke with my clients, too. I was like, you know, I, I'm glad that you'd love to have me back. But as long as it's before APAM 2022, then I'll be happy. But that's the already that's the way that they're thinking. You know, many have said, we'd love to have you back next year. I said, do you realize what's wrong with that statement? Because I am more than just my identity. And, and so it's this weird balance of I have to live in my Asian American space because I have to be a voice for my people. And I know I can do a better job contextually than most. But at the same time, I want to be known for more than that. Right. Like you've written a book. Right. Like your book isn't about the identity. Your book is for everybody and every woman and young woman out there. It's universal. But like, I, I think even that's a big part of the struggle, um, how we balance that. And I think uh, you're Chinese American, I'm Korean American. There's other things that supersede our broad Asian American identity. But literally, as a matter of survival, I think many of us are adopting the Asian American identity to fight together in solidarity so that we have a louder voice. And so suffice it to say, I think identity is continuing to evolve. Um, as we look to wrap here, Dion, um, share with us some fun things. I know many people may not know, but you're a big foodie. Um, you, have a, you have a secondary uh, food-based Instagram channel. Um, and, and in leading up to this, uh, Young and Ted from Soul Sausage uh, specifically asked me to thank you while we have this conversation. Um, also, by the way, if you listen to this before June 6th, check them out on the upcoming uh, Food Truck Race uh, Champions of Champions special. Um, and, and, and they've been on the show before. How, how are you finding opportunities to continue to um, enjoy some of those things that just bring joy in your life? I know people can't see, but you lit up when I said secret Instagram food account. This is what makes you happy. My alter ego, right? <laughs> you know, first off, shout out to Soul Sausage because when they were in San Francisco for the great food truck race, I ran down there. I think it was before my shift and I was sweating and I was huffing and puffing and I paid $24, which was a very overpriced, but I wanted them to win um, <laughs> for their sausage and was super happy because they've been supporters of mine and the feeling is mutual. So, um, you know, I, I, it was described to me by a former network executive, someone who was very big um, for ABC News, that 
you need to at least find several hours in the day for you and don't feel necessarily guilty to take it. Because as someone who serves the public, you feel this need to say yes to everything. And I don't know if you've felt that way to all these events, but you know, I told you I have a hard out and the hard out is, yes, I need to take care of some other meetings. But later on today, I've carved out five hours, five hours. It sounds like such a luxury to go and explore different, you know, restaurants that I want to go to, to go cherry picking, to go, um, you know, just enjoy the outdoors. And I think if we remember to take a little bit of time to celebrate the wins and what makes us happy, that will sometimes be enough to keep us going. And it was recommended to me by someone to start writing down my wins. We do that in our editorial meeting, Mm. what was successful in the newscast the day before. So I applied that to my regular life. And you'll see, my list is very silly. I like those little blind boxes with these little characters inside. You know, they sell them at like the Japanese bookstore. So I collect these, the Smisky series. So I got the secret Smisky one day. I know this is all very inside baseball, but I wrote that down as my, you know, check that off my list. And whenever I feel like I want to jump out the window, I look at my list and I think, hey, you know what? Life's pretty good after all. And I think we forget because we get so bogged down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think pandemic, which we haven't even touched on, has kept us home, kept us, you know, on anxiety alert all the time. And I think we often forget. Um, and, and this is a conversation for a three hour conversation for a different time. But the, the expectations that I think the public or even members of our own community have on people like you at a, at a much larger scale than me, because I, I still do have a public facing platform on why aren't you doing more or you should do this or share this. And I'm like, please do not send me videos of people getting punched in the face without getting my permission. Cause how do you know that I want to watch it? Or, or somebody yesterday sent me a GoFundMe for their cat. And I said, I, I didn't even bother responding. I, nothing nice was going to come out of my mouth, but read the room. I am sure this is a very important issue for you, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, I don't know. And so if the cat person is listening, I'm sorry, but I'm not like there are things that I want to choose to pay attention to. And I'll say this publicly, too. Like, it's my business. It's my platform. It's my voice. And I'm sorry, you don't get to tell me what I do with my platform. I you have to entrust me like we are entrusting Dion and everybody else that they are going to pick the stories and do it in a way that is respectful and honorable and important. We can't be exhaustive, right? Um, and so the other part that I'll share too, and I know I've asked you this many times um, in, in our email and our DM exchanges, check in on people without asking for stuff. Yes, please. I mean- like Just a simple, how you doing? <laughs> Look, look, so oftentimes people want to promote their business and I understand why, right? Because, you know, I've been on book tour. You got to hustle. I totally respect that. But at a time right now when you know, I mean, put yourself, this is an old adage, put yourself in someone else's shoes. The pressure and the demands already are so great. Can I really handle you wanting me to promote your shoe brand? I mean, I'm sorry. I it's it's you know use a little common sense also, and and I I'm open in about saying this as well. PR folks, I work with a lot of them because of naturally what I do, <laughs> but 
you know, please tailor it to the right person. Because if you oh, know yeah. that I'm covering um, all of these crimes, right, I am not going to cover like an inflatable unicorn that just rolled out. Can you please get it on Good Morning America? Sorry, that's sure. not my plan. I, I agree. And and I, I think the irony sometimes, um, and I can go on about this for a long time, I'm going to stop after this point, is the irony of the expectation that we as Asian American voices amplify and support Asian American businesses without the irony hitting them that we are Asian American businesses that need supporting as well, that you're expecting us to do your labor, the labor and the free dirty work of making you money without you ever asking me once, how can I support you? I think is a, is, is a very uh, deep conversations that we need to have with members of our community that just expect things to be done for them, particularly from platforms like you and I, uh, like other folks um, that do that. And so, look, I we're going to have you back on the show. We're going to talk about this for a very, very long time. Um, but I, I do, I, I do want to wrap the show uh, in the way that that we do uh, with the Dear Asian Americans letter. And you speak to people all the time. You share the news all the time, but. Uh, share with us something um, from your heart, from your mind, from uh, your soul that uh, you'd want to share with our community, um, knowing what you've seen and, and experiencing what you've dealt with um, in, in a letter addressed to the community. So I'll start. And if you can help us finish out the show by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. I would say Dear Asian Americans right now feels pretty damn scary. I wake up every morning wondering how many crimes am I going to have to cover today? I've said this before. It's not whose story I'm going to champion. It's that desire to want to champion everyone's. But remember, even though you can't save the world, because I want to save the world each and every day, I feel a responsibility too. You can only do so much. And when you can release that from your burden of responsibility, then you can begin to focus on the stories that matter and hopefully inspire someone else to do the same. While I do not have other people necessarily who will champion the stories the way I will, I do know that there are people out there, and I promise you that they are there, that support you and care about you and want to know what you're going through. Please try and find those people. You are not alone. There are many days where I felt alone also, but I've taken some solace in the help from social media, from people like Jerry, in knowing that we can do this. It's going to be a long haul. It is going to be two steps forwards, 20 steps back some days, but still we are going forward. So with that, dear Asian Americans, stay the course. We are on our way. Thank you. It's really, really awesome to talk to other people who talk for a living because these interviews are so fun. I my, my ask to anybody listening to the sound of our voice today is to check in on Dion, to check in on other newscasters. Um, we know who they are. We follow them on Instagram. We like their posts. We share it out. But DM them. Check in on them just to see if they're doing okay and how we can help. Um you know, you don't have to send them gifts. You don't have to send it, but just check in on them because it is exhausting. Uh, we don't know. There seems to be some resemblance of a light at the end of the tunnel, but we just don't know. And so we are so grateful to you, Dion, for the work that you do. You do it with a smile. Um, you, you do it without ever complaining. Um, we, we are really, really blessed 
And I wonder how many stories would have gone untold in 2021 if had it not been for you being exactly where you are. And so um, please support Dion in her work. Um, if you like reading books, Make Your Moment is the title of her book. I am going to put it in the show notes. Um, hell, the first two people to DM me about the book, I'll send you a copy because we also need to support the people that support us. And so, Dion, thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Um, that's the number one thing that people wanted me to ask you about today, to take care of yourself and to make sure to ask for help if you need it. Um, and tell the haters to go something. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't deserve any of that. And so thank you for what you do. Uh, very appreciative of you uh, as a fellow community leader, but also as, as a friend in knowing that you are taking care of yourself. And please reach out if ever you need anything. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. My deepest thanks to you. The feeling is mutual. And I know we're going to have another conversation. I can't yeah. wait for yeah. it. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in. What an amazing and uplifting conversation. And I will share, we had such a great time talking before and after the interview. And we were really excited on, on using all of our platforms and our voices uh, to bring about positive change to our community. So thanks to Dion for making space for this conversation. She's got a very busy schedule and she made time for us. So and to all the other newscasters, journalists, reporters, writers out there who are using your voices, your words, your gifts, your platforms to share about Asian American stories, thank you so much. And to all the other folks who are using their own voices through social media and other ways to amplify Asian American stories, we're all in this together, and this is going to be a long, long marathon, and I appreciate you and applaud you uh, for doing what you're doing. Share this episode out with a friend. Follow us where you can at Dear Asian Americans or at Dear Asian Am on Twitter. Email us hello at DearAsianAmericans.com if you want to say hello. And don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've had our busiest month, our most listened to month in the month of May. And we want to keep the momentum going. So if you have friends, family members, colleagues you want to share this out with, I appreciate you sharing that out. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Signing off on episode 118 of The Asian Americans, this has been your host, Jerry Wan, and I wish you health, happiness, and safety.